Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, David Campbell. In this episode, we'll be talking about trip ownership and commuting. And to do that with me, I've got MEC Chairman Will McQuillan. Hi, Will. Hi, David. Your negotiating chairman, Chris Gruner. How's it going? Scheduling Committee Chairman Scott Rubin. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Another negotiating committee member, Rob Casey. Hi, David. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Chris, let me turn it over to you to start. Give us an overview of what you mean by trip ownership and what parts of commuting we'll be talking about today. Yeah, I mean, both of these issues are in one podcast because these are the types of things that give people certainty on their lives. So as pilots, there's a lot of changes on a monthly basis, a lot of times on a daily basis, and trying to minimize that and being able to plan around those things is important for us. So uh, bid block holder trip ownership, for example, like when you bid a line, there's an expectation that you have into that, that you're working around other things in your life. So it's useful to know where you're spending the night, when you're getting home, all those kinds of things. And uh, some of it too is just honor seniority, right? So if your preference is to go get a Hawaii layover, you should probably not end up in Fairbanks on a regular basis or vice versa. Maybe you like Fairbanks, so (laughs) equal opportunity there. So that's an important part of what we're talking about today. On the other side of things, when you're looking at commuting, you know, commuters want to have confidence that they're going to be able to get to work and it's difficult at times. So we want to make sure that we're able to do what we can in this contract to be able to make that process easier. So we'll talk through uh, both of those subjects today and uh, talk about what's changed in the contract to address those issues. Okay, thanks. So let's get right to the trip ownership. And I think, I mean, that's a great point that if you're expecting that you have a particular day off, you should be able to bank on that. And so should your family, right? And you shouldn't pack for a Hawaii trip and end up needing a parka. It's helpful. So Scott, what's different in this tentative agreement that helps to capture that ownership of the trip? What I start out with is what I can expect to keep. Yeah, we'll talk about a couple different items, but let's start with reassignment away from base. So currently, if you get reassigned so that the company can uh, protect the continuity of the general schedule, the only restriction is get you home within five hours of your originally signed trip. Under the tentative agreement, if the company reassigns a pilot to maintain the continuity of the general schedule, now that's going to pay the pilot 150%, as well as keeping the provision of having you back within five hours. So there's still a a limit to get you home and back to base within that five hours. Additionally, if you, at the pilot's option, agree to waive the five-hour restriction, now that that trip and the entire trip in both cases will pay 200%. I think it's important you noted there that while the company needs to retain the flexibility for continuity of schedule, I think that uh, we heard loud and clear from the pilots going back over the winter where that decision shouldn't be arbitrary. And the goal here was to economically disincentivize that type of behavior where trips were haphazardly and pilots were haphazardly reassigned and, as Chris alluded to in the the opener, ended up in places where they shouldn't be. As a bid block holder, you should simply have an expectation, choice, or compensation for that flexibility. That was the goal. In discussions with counterparts at other airlines as we've been through this negotiations process, we've certainly learned that this is also a priority on their properties where, in their mind's eye, blind holders have become 
effectively reserve pilots once they're out in the field. And that was something that we wanted to protect. Well, I think a flip side of trip ownership is day off ownership. And that's another thing that you guys have worked to protect and improve. Yeah, certainly. That was a big focus of this negotiating cycle was to preserve the sanctity of a day off. And one of the things we were able to protect that exists in the current contract that will exist in in the the TA as well is the inability for the company to junior assign. That's a huge flexibility tool that uh, exists at other airlines. We're able to protect that we have junior available where they can call and proffer or offer you a trip, but the pilot's under no obligation to uh, give up their day off in order to fly. In addition, we were able to protect the, the reserves as well in very limited circumstances can they be flown into their day off and then compensated well for it. But I think that'll be probably a topic for the the reserve podcast, right? Yeah, I think so. Scott, with these changes to reassignment away from base, those who are flying a freighter trip also receive those sorts of changes. Have you aligned those two things in this tentative agreement? Yeah, it did change that a little bit. And we've synced the two up so that they still work together and mirror each other. Yes. So we've been talking about some improvements to the current contract. Is there anything new that we can expect? Yeah, in this TA, we've uh, captured delay pay, which we have not had in the past. If a bid block holder is delayed on their last leg back to base more than two hours, they're going to receive pay. And that works for every two minutes you're delayed after the two hours, you get one minute of pay new concept for us, but something valuable to the pilot group to compensate you when the operation goes sideways and you end up getting home much later than, or later than you originally were planning on. And that's any kind of delay that could be weather, maintenance, crew issue, anything? Correct. I can give you a couple examples, just a real simple one. Let's say you're supposed to get back to base at 9.50 in the morning but you actually get in at 12.20, and I'll do the math for you. That's two and a half hours late. You're going to receive 15 minutes of delay pay for that two and a half hour delay. Another example, let's say you're doing a two-day trip. You fly out to Pittsburgh and then Pittsburgh back to Seattle the next day, just one leg each day. Um, You're supposed to return to base again. We'll use that 9.50 in the morning. This trip's going to pay you 10 hours. It's just a 10 hour, two day trip. For some reason that last leg back cancels. So Pittsburgh to let's say Seattle cancels and you end up deadheading back on a later flight arriving at 1550. So six hours late. Now that trip is going to pay the pilot 10 hours credit. Plus since you were six hours late, you're going to get two hours of delay pay only. So you're going to capture 12 hours for that trip. Yeah, and just to point it out as well, um, you're six hours late, but the obligation from scheduling is still to schedule you within five hours if they can. Otherwise, like the contract says now, if it goes past six hours, then they have to get you back as soon as possible by any means available, including offline travel. So. Great point, Chris. Yep. Right. And, and that is something that we've certainly heard about over the years, both in contract compliance and in the grievance process. And again, this just adds an incentivization element to ensure that that actually happens. So and here's another example of how delay pay works. So if you're getting a premium under reassignment or cancellation makeup where you 
your trip is canceled and you've agreed to go five hours beyond the original trip, you, so you're ca capturing a premium in that. Um, you won't get delay pay because you opted in to say, yeah, I'll take the premium. But if that newly assigned trip that you agreed to extend on becomes delayed, now you will again capture delay pay. All right. And just to be explicit about it, that delay pay is not part of the calculation of average daily guarantee. Correct. Yeah, they're two separate things. So guarantee, the daily guarantee is going to be a rig, which is just based on the days that you're away, averaged over the period of time. And so that's going to be basically a soft time calculation, paying credit. This delay pay is wholly independent of any of that stuff. So no matter what your trip is credited or anything else along those lines, it's going to be a pay-only component that's just added to whatever your trip is, whether there's hard time, soft time, anything else, it doesn't matter. It will be extra pay. All right, Scott, and I see there have been changes made to the cancellation makeup. So what, what can we expect in that? Or Yeah, we heard from the pilot group, <laughs> like Will said, coffee sits, direct feedback, contract compliance, that this area of our contract needed to be addressed. And so in this TA, uh, there has been some significant changes to it. So if your trip cancels and you're required to do a makeup trip, first off, we've retained what we had in our old language where if you were able to drop that trip at your option and still be above the guarantee for the month, that was an option you had. We also retained alternate trip makeup. So instead of being re reassigned what the crew scheduling wanted to give you, you could pick something else out of open time uh, at your discretion, including selecting reserve days. So we retained those important provisions that uh, work good for our pilots. We've clarified with the company in this negotiation that if you give me an assignment, you can only give me one assignment. You can't give me multiple trips, only one trip as a makeup. Furthermore, we've limited the number of contactability periods. So if you didn't have a makeup assignment to assign me, I, there was nothing I could pick for alternate trip makeup that I would have to do only one uh, contactability period and that's it. So if, even if I was on a four day trip, I just do one contactability period. Do they reassign me or not? And then the pilot is done. Yeah, and I think that's an important one that we heard loud and clear from pilots that not only was it a confusing provision, having multiple days of contactability, but certainly for the commuting population and everybody else that suddenly has to come out of pocket for a hotel or, or whatnot, just a, another significant pain point. And this brings us a little closer in line with our peers and with the industry in terms of how the cancellations should be handled. We also captured in this, if um, let's say there was no reassignment you had a two-day trip, it canceled, and there was no reassignment. Now the pilot can actually pick up a trip for pay only over that footprint where they couldn't do that before. So there's the opportunity potentially to even make extra money for the pilot if they chose to. Yeah, so you're still pay protected for the original trip, but now kind of like a trip displacement. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're able to pick up extra at that point. Correct. I just want to make sure I'm following along. So if you your trip gets canceled... There's really two opportunities for the company to assign you something. One is right then when it cancels and you protected all the things that we used to have so they can either 
assign you what they want or you can say, no, thank you. I'd rather take this other trip that's an open time or take a reserve day. And then if there's not scheduled on that day, the following day, there's a contactability period and then that's it. Then you're done. Yep. So if your trip cancels, the only time in which you are required to be contactable is going to be from your report time for the next four hours. And that's it. So now if the company gets a hold of you earlier, you can still optionally pick up the phone. You know, they can give you a trip at that point. You can choose alternative trip makeup, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They don't have something for you. You're still going to be contactable during that original period that I just talked about. Mm-hmm. But that again, that's the only time that you're obligated to be contactable for a makeup trip. Okay. Whereas as it is now, it's every day of the trip, there's a contactability period and that is now gone in this TA. Right. So let's say today you had a three day trip, you'd be available at the time that you would originally report again that evening for a trip the following day, again, the following morning for a trip that day, again, the following evening for a trip the next day and so on until you Mm -hmm. run out of time. So all those subsequent contactability periods are now gone. We also retained in this TA that you can't junior assign a pilot. Other carriers have a provision that operates like that, but it's still the pilot's choice. And if they do choose to go do flying, it's 200%. Thanks, Scott. Actually, I'd forgotten that important part that we added, the the 200%. Okay, well, let's move on to talking about commuting. And we've mentioned it a couple of times as we are evaluating this tentative agreement. There are a lot of pieces to it. And so it may be hard to pick out how is this provision here and that provision here going to make an improvement in my life. And I think commuting is a good example of that. We've made some fairly significant changes that will affect commuting, but they're scattered throughout the contract. And so I'd like to condense that in a conversation now. And so Rob, help us out with that. Give us an overview of the commuting and how the TA will make some changes to that. Yeah, sure. Let me start by saying we've heard loud and clear from our pilots that commuting is a real pain point. And as a commuter myself, I know this all too well. And so we've made a lot of meaningful changes in this area from the start of the process all the way to the end, from trip construction, to the way the trips are built, to the way they're bid, and to the way you can commute in and out of the trip. I think we've made meaningful uh, progress in this area and I'd love to take you through it. Well, let's start with the beginning, like you mentioned. What's new in the trip construction? What did you mean by that? Yeah, we've codified rules that guarantee minimum amount of commutable pairings, but we've also changed the whole process so that ALPA has a more meaningful role in the process where now ALPA and the company must agree to the baseline. And if we are within 1% of the cost, it will automatically select ALPA solution for the pairing construction run. What this means is we're going to have a lot more opportunity to build pairings with more quality of life in them and, and guarantee that there's a minimum amount of commutable pairings. And Rob, what effect will PBS have on commuting? Yeah, I think it'll have a big effect, frankly. It'll allow pilots to have more say over the construction of their line. So if I'm a commuter, you know, I was looking through the bid package and I saw that there were pairings where the only event on the very first day was a deadhead. 
as a commuter myself, I would probably bid that. Now I commute straight to the layover and don't have to worry about a hotel. So I think PBS is going to help pilots get the trips that they prefer from the start. And so just to put a finer point on that to those who may be less familiar with PBS, you can go through all of the trips that are available and find the ones that are help you as a commuter, not just because you're a commuter, but maybe because you're deadheading to a place that's more convenient or closer or works in some other way. There's, there's just more to choose from and you can build your whole line that way. Yep, that's right. So I believe you've had a podcast with Ben Brooks, who's walked you through the whole process here, but it's about giving the pilots a say in how their line is constructed within the bounds of seniority. Yeah, and there's other elements when you're looking at a waiving contractual rest rules down closer to FAR rest rules, and you're able to put more credit closer together. Those kinds of things help manage the time off you have and being able to build something, even if it's not pairing specific, it's constructing the whole line in a way that is more beneficial to you. And again, it's all seniority based, but again, if somebody else's priorities is two and three day trips and having two and three days off at a time, which mine would be because I live in base, somebody else is going to build something different and you can sort the priorities uh, based on what people prefer. And again, go back and reference the PBS podcast that we discussed earlier to get more specifics on that. Okay, thanks. Rob, what other changes in the tentative agreement will have an effect? Well, I think commuters will really be interested in having highly efficient trips. So measuring credit per time away from base. And there's a lot of new factors that we've added to help get this efficiency of a trip up that from ADG to higher training pay to even 100% deadhead credit. Uh, you know, when I started this process, I didn't think 100% deadhead credit would be something that'd be beneficial to commuters. But, you know, I was recently speaking to one of our pairing builders, Jake Woods. He showed me a pairing that's built under today's rules. And once he adds 100% deadhead credit, it's going to be a 31-hour four-day. So the more credit I can squeeze into a smaller amount of time, the fewer commutes I have to make and the more days I have at home. So all of these processes together are little pieces that go a long way to make a big difference as a whole. Rob, I think the ability for pilots to pick up open time out of base would also help if I were a commuter, right? Yeah, I agree with that statement. Uh, you know, we've heard from our pilots that they want more options, and this is just another piece along that same road. So if I have a trip I don't like for one reason or another, maybe it's not commutable, I can drop it into my base. And now I can look at all of our bases and see what's available. Now, there are some caveats. You can't pick up a trip out of base unless it's uh, within 72 hours. And it's also had six hours of soak. So as long as those conditions are met and I see another trip in a, a different base than my own that is better suited for me for commuting or whatever the reason might be, it just gives me another option to build my schedule in a way that works for me and my family. Right. And just I want to just clarify really quickly that what you meant by soak, if a trip drops into open time that's close in within that 72 hours, it has to remain available only to pilots in base for six hours. And after those six hours, if no in-base pilot picks it up, then it's open to anyone. That's right. We felt it was important to give 
pilots within that base a first stab at picking up the trip. Right. And by the way, pilots can listen to, we have more details about trading and picking things up on the episode on trip trading. So Rob, if I'm a commuter and also on reserve, what does this TA do? Well, a lot, frankly, and reserve is another area where we've heard loudly from our pilots that they need to change, particularly those who commute to reserve. So there's a long list of items here that we've changed and improved for all reserves, starting off with calendar days off. And now reserves cannot be flown into a day off. Long call, we've increased the call out to 14 hours. And there's a new provision that's unique. On your first day of long call, you can't be given an assignment prior to 1400 or 2 p.m. And that's for anyone on long call, by the way, right? You don't have to be a registered commuter for that to be the case. That's right. As long as you're on long call or long call non-convertible, you can't be given an assignment prior towards 1400. Now you can volunteer to preference something before that and you'll receive an hour of pay only. And, and Rob, I don't want to gloss over that, but that first day assignment of not before 2 p.m., that's that's kind of a, a unique get that we were able to achieve and something that we've identified elsewhere in the industry that has been a problem, right? Yep, that's right. So Delta and United have a similar reserve system to ours, and their first day is 10 a.m. So we're really proud of that 1400, that 2 p.m., and we feel we set the benchmark for the industry now. Rob, I read about the long call non-convertible. Would you flesh out what that is? Yeah. So in our system, we have a new type of long call that is unique to the industry, and that's long call non-convertible. So 10% of all reserve lines must be LNC. If you are one of these pilots, you cannot be converted to short call. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out here that these are optionally available. So a minimum of 10% have to be available to bid, but nobody has to bid them. They're just there if you want to. Is there a benefit to bidding a long call non-convertible? Yeah, no, I think certainly for the commuting population, knowing that you're not going to have to, to come into base on a short call conversion, that's got value. Rob, another thing, looks like we have another acronym here to deal with, APU. What does that mean in the context of reserve? That's the aggressive pickup window. So this is a provision that we borrowed from United and we improved upon it. So similar to the window we have now, where if you're on long call in the morning, you can self-assign a trip. It's similar to this procedure, except the improvements include a plus or minus one day. So say for example, you're, you have three days of reserve, you can now pick up a two-day or you can pick up a four-day that goes into your day off. So if it's the last of your days off or the first of your days off, you can request to pick up a day. This might be beneficial if, say, you're getting close to the guarantee and it will interplay with another provision we have, which is new, high-time reserve. So with that, if you hit the guarantee, crew scheduling now is a choice to make. They can give you the days off or they can give you more pay. So it's all starting to work together so that uh, if you commute, you can really try to uh, 
adjust your schedule and try to get the days off or the amount of time off you need. Also, most importantly, I would say for a commuter on the aggressive pickup window. So when you pick up the trip and you're on long call, you're immediately released into the trip. So if you pick up the trip and say it's assigned at 10 a.m. and the trip you picked up for the next day isn't till the afternoon, well, that's now over 24 hours you have where you're not contactable. That gives you a lot of time to commute and plan your life. This is a provision we borrowed from United. And Will, I know you were a pilot at United and a commuter. I believe you use this provision a lot. I'd love to hear your take on it. Oh, it, it works very, very well. And this is actually an improvement upon what I worked under. But the ability to control your schedule as a commuter and as a reserve was uh, very, very popular. And being able to put something on your line that you knew was commutable or had a release time that was favorable to commuting home, or as you just said, uh, guaranteed additional days off. And in this case, also has the provisions for additional pay. I think we've added some good utility for anybody who's on reserve, but certainly for the commuting population. It worked real well for me. Uh, some of the other provisions that are important are auto release. So if on your last day, you haven't been assigned a trip and you're a long call, you're going to be auto released at 10 a.m. If you're a short call, you will be released four hours prior to the end of your wrap or 1500, whatever's earlier. Some other protections, long calls who are converted to short call. We were concerned that uh, these pilots would be converted on their last day unnecessarily. So we put in provisions where the, the company has to convert pilots with the most amount of days available first. Now that won't prevent somebody on their last day from being converted, but we think it'll go a long way to minimizing it. Uh, other provisions such as long call reserve pilots can't be assigned a same day short call on their last day of reserves. So what I mean by same day short call wrap is if a short call calls in sick, now all of a sudden there's a unfilled short call wrap. Again, if it's your last day, they can't give it to you. Yeah, and a lot of these provisions, just to be clear, are going to take a little while to implement with the new system. So we're definitely headed in that direction. We're going to work hard to make sure these happen fast. But uh, even so, a lot of these things will still be in place between now and when that new system is implemented, such as 14-hour long call callouts, auto release at 10 a.m. for long call. And for short call, it will just be four hours prior to the end of your wrap period. And then the 1,500 backstop will be in place once the new system is implemented. So there's still a concerted effort from the team to make sure people see improvements from day one, but then we're going to work quickly and press the company to get these things implemented quickly. Yeah. And I think that's a, an important point too, as well, because we kind of got a little bit deep into the weeds on some of the, the reserve provisions here. And we'll encourage everybody obviously to listen to the reserve podcast that's dedicated to these issues because something like the pay component um, for working on a day off when you do the aggressive pickup does have a caveat a little bit more complicated to even explain here right right yeah good point well yeah and can i circle back and make sure i understood one more thing on the last duty period limitation i assume that applies whether you had been a long call reserve or a short call reserve is that right that's correct 
Rob, one of the challenges for a commuting pilot is when something happens to their trip and they're in their base, but not where they live. Has any changes happened to the TA to address those sorts of challenges? Sure. We've made a lot of changes to hotels and uh, positive space to training for pilots. So now if you're on a trip that is interrupted in your base, the company will get you a hotel. If you're training and say you're based in Seattle, but you live elsewhere, you qualify for a hotel. What was 25U cancellation makeup? The company will now get you a hotel from when you're notified that your flight is canceled until the report. We've made uh, gains on positive space to training. So now instead of from your base to the training center, it's from your home of record. Improvements to the commuter policy. So instead of just going to commuter on call, which is effectively reserved, you can pick up open time if it's available. That's kind of similar to the alternative trip makeup provisions of, of cancellation makeup. We've made improvements to the jump seat. So if a flight's weight restricted and you're commuting to work in the jump seat, you're now the last non-rev to come off to be displaced from the plane. We've also made some improvements to the early assignment window, which should help commuters quite a bit. Rob, talk more about the early assignment window. Sure. So like now, the company gives out trips to reserves within a, a time period, and we've moved that to the left. So now the assignment window for reserves is from 10 a.m. to 1. This is significant for our commuters particularly those who live on the East Coast. So one o'clock Pacific, that's four Eastern. Before, it might have been hard to get to the airport within the assignment window. Now they're going to have a lot more time since that's moved to the left substantially. Okay, thanks, Rob. And Chris, again, do you want to summarize the points and the changes in trip ownership and commuting? Yeah, sure. So the uh, big things I think to take away with trip ownership if there's any reassignment away from base, the pilot will now be paid 150% for the trip, and that's extended to the freighter LOA as well. Pilots get delay pay for trips that come back late, more than two hours late. Cancellation makeup is down to just one contactability window. And then we maintained no assigned flying into a day off for bid block holders, and then we've tightened it for reserve pilots so the company can no longer assign reserve pilot flying into a day off under any circumstances. So that's trip ownership. And then uh, commuting, big pieces on there, just uh, looking at the reserve changes that Rob went over and then looking at uh, increased hotel availability for broken trips, canceled flights, things along those lines, training hotels, positive space availability for training. And then uh, with the commuter LOA specifically, shorter commuter on call times, and the ability to pick up open flying time. And then finally, the jump seat issue. So if you're a jump seater and you're commuting to or from an assignment, then you will be the last person removed for weight restrictions under the non-rev banner. If they get to a revenue passenger, then that would be the exception. They would pull you off first, but you're last out under those circumstances. Okay, thank you very much. And I'd like to reiterate that our goal with these podcast episodes is to help all of our pilots be as informed as possible about what's in the TA so that they can make an informed decision when they vote. So please remember 
If you are left with any questions, all of the people who are on this podcast are available by phone or email, and there are other subject matter experts that you can talk to, and of course, your rep. Please don't sit with an unanswered question. Reach out, get those questions answered. We're here to help in any way we can. What Chris pointed out, I think, when we start to talk about some of the changes here is that today's topics really illustrate how we were able to take significant pain points and areas of our former contract language that were candidly abused at times and not used in the intent in which they were meant and make sure that the the company will compensate you for that flexibility overarchingly and brings us in line with our peer airlines in many, many fashions, in some cases leads leads them. And I think that the area in and around commutability illustrates pretty well that the intent here is to educate. If you had to look in a million different places, it's not as intuitive about those improvements that are are baked into this for commutability, little bits and pieces here and there, and that really we want to educate and tell people how this all comes together as a comprehensive system to address that pain point as well. So it's hopefully valuable. Thank you, Will. And thanks to the rest of you for coming in today as well. I'd also like to thank our listeners. I know we've covered a lot of material here, and while we've tried to anticipate questions, there may be others. I'd like to encourage you to reach out to your block rep or anyone else on the podcast episode here today. We are here to answer your questions. We have a number of other resources for you, not the least of which is a completely revamped pilot webpage at alaskapilots.org. And on it, You will find the quick guide to the executive summary, the executive summary itself, and full language of the tentative agreement. Also, a roadshow schedule will be coming to every base. Also, instructions on how to vote and when the voting period will start and end. There is a list of frequently asked questions with a form if you have another question to ask. And, of course, access to all of the other podcasts on the subject of the TA. Well, again, thank you for listening. I'll close out the episode now, and this concludes another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell.